0: Hey everybody! Welcome back to Deering Live. Glad to have y'all all here. Um, we're excited this week. We have to welcome back BB Boness to uh, to the show. Um, you know, she's a fantastic banjo player. She's won Steve Martin Banjo Award in the past. Um, she plays with the uh, the band Mile Twelve and check them out. Uh, a Great, great young band and. Uh, they have a new album coming out uh, in February, I believe. It's called "Close Enough to Hear." I was lucky to hear. Let's get some preview on that, and it's, it's a great album. So definitely keep your keep your ears out for that. They have some singles released too, I believe, that you can check out now. But uh, this week we're going to be covering a, a focused topic on, on movable harmonic shapes, which will uh, can really help your playing out on the five-string banjo, no matter what kind of right-hand style you're doing, as it will really open up the fingerboard all the way up the neck for you. So uh, let's bring BB into the show. Oh, you're muted.
1: There we go. Already there a typical era. <laughs> great <laughs> to <welcome>. be here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show again. We're glad to have you back.
1: Yeah, glad to be back. It was such a good time last time, and hopefully the internet's a little better this time. I think uh, got a better connection, so looking forward to it. Yeah,
0: you got it dialed in. Got it dialed in. Um, do you want to kick us off with a tune, and then we'll start to dig into you know dig into the lesson that we we're talking about?
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Oh, um, I'll start with the tune. The tune is on the new album uh, from my l Album. It's uh, one instrumental on the album and it's a tune that I wrote kind of for my mother. Um, it's called Hopping Around Telluride. Fantastic. Thank you.
0: So you wrote that? That's one you wrote, right? You said? Yeah,
1: that's that's a banjo tune I wrote. Yeah.
0: So, what's your process in writing an instrumental banjo tune before we dig deeper into the lesson?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't have a real good process. I think people that write tunes all the time probably <laughs> have a much better um, setup than I do. For that tune, I, I remember I was just practicing. Um, a lot of it comes from you know just playing around with the idea so I was playing with those um, sixth intervals Uh, so like we're in the key of D and I was kind of like playing with that A and the F sharp there um, which is you know like a nice way to get a D chord Um, and then I was probably just playing around with that kind of pinching idea there going down like to the E and back up to the F sharp and then Changing kind of chords, like A to G. Um, I don't remember exactly how I how I came up with the rest of it, but I do remember just writing that whole A part kind of in one sitting, and then thinking, "Ooh, I, I like the A part." And then it's always the tricky part is to come up with something to match it, you know, something to go with it. So the B part was a definite um, write it a bunch of times and send it to the band and be like, "How's this?" and and then send them another one and be like, "Actually, I think I like this." and That third section, it's got some different chords in there, um, and that was, I remember us fooling around with the arrangement and trying to decide whether that was really a C part or kind of more like a bridge section or an interlude, and on the record, because there's more people playing and more people taking solos, Mm -hmm. we only do it one time, but I figure when it was just me, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that a couple times, so... (laughs)
0: It's nice to have, have people you trust that you can send ideas to when, when you come up with like a, a loose idea of a tune like that too, right?
1: Definitely, yeah. And I you know, I think I'd written the full tune, but it was like different from what the full tune that ended up on the album. So I think uh-huh. it was mostly just the inspiration of like, hey, we might actually work this up as a band and I want it to be like the best B part it can be and you know the best kind of arrangement it can be before we start picking on it as a band and then they helped a lot with uh when we were sitting down to arrange it and figure out how it should go um right. i hadn't really decided fully on all the chords yet so we kind of came up with the the harmony you you know i mean you can't really hear it when it's a solo banjo tune but right. on the record there's you know the band is playing all the chords behind it and they helped me a lot with coming up with that stuff so yeah
0: And how did you remember it? Did you record it in a voice like on your phone or something? Or did you just keep playing it over and over so you didn't forget it?
1: Well, I did play it a lot that first day. But um, once I decided I liked it, I'm sure I recorded it on a voice memo. I think that's a really great way to do it. Oftentimes too, if I'm coming up with stuff on the banjo, I'll actually video myself doing it because sometimes Years go by and you come back to these things and you're like, how is that? I know I can hear what the notes are, but how was I even doing that? So uh, I, I quite like yeah. having a video record of some of this stuff. You come up with some yeah. crazy chord shape or something and then be like, where on earth is that on the banjo?
0: Totally. Transcribing yourself is always a pain when, when it's been a long time and you're kind of doing other fingerings these days.
1: Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Tabbing it out. That's also a great way to keep this stuff written down. I'm kind of, I'm terrible at that, but I should do it more.
0: Well, digging into the lesson, you know uh, you know, we talked about, you came up with the idea and we kind of, and we kind of tweaked it. Um, What kind of was the inspiration as a teacher for this being um, kind of the, the, what you want to focus on uh, as a lesson in, in today, you know, what, were you seen this, you know, a, a common problem with students that you might have or something?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a really great area for inter- intermediate kind of players. I mean, any level player, I think, can brush up on this stuff. But you get to that point where you, like, know a bunch of tunes. You've got, like, ten tunes under your belt and your technique's getting pretty good. And you can play the thing that you've been told to learn note for note. But going along to your first jam session and having to come up with other things that aren't those ten songs you know... In the moment when you've never heard that song before That can be a real challenge Um, So this I think learning the banjo neck And learning these movable chord Positions um, and starting to understand Really what are, what's going on Underneath all the you know the arrangements You might already know um, And how can we like break them down and use them in Songs so um, I use actually in this tune I'm using that voicing that I was Thinking would be a fun thing to show people Sixth um, and what that Means is just there's six notes from your Lowest note to your highest note So that's in D but If we do that in the key of G and we want to get you know an interval of a six we could start on say the B the if you know the G shape already that's going to be your middle finger um, on the third string and we follow the scale up six notes from that B we get to the G which is usually played by your pinky so with that chord shape um, that's a nice way instead of having to do the full chord we can just grab a little bit less of it at a time and still have, say, our melody is on our high string. That's often how we best hear the melody, is the highest note we're playing. Then we could follow the scale on the two strings together, moving up. Uh, Basically, you know, I'm playing a G scale on the bottom string from B to B, and I'm playing a G scale on the top string. So this is already like out of reach, do please tell me, and please jump in and ask me any questions, whoever is, is watching this live YouTube video, because I want it to be as interactive as possible. Um, but So first of all, we need to know a few things to be able to do this. We need to know what the G scale is, um, and we need to know what the names of the strings are so we can figure out from there what these notes are. So a little bit of music theory really comes in handy. But yeah, we're taking our first G-shaped chord from B and G, and then we're going to move the B up to a C, which is the next note in the scale, and we're going to move the G up to an A. Then we've got C and A. And you could think of that a couple different ways. Um, you could think of it as like an A minor chord. That might be familiar to you. It also kind of looks like an F chord. <laughs> Uh, You know, since we're only playing two notes, it kind of could be a lot of different things. It could be D7, but really the important thing is, is that you know that the B has to move to a C and the G has to move to an A, right? So we get to our second position. From here, we move both of these fingers up two frets each, right, from C goes to D on the low string and the A goes to B on the first string. So, so far we have the G shape, and then a wider shape. This two frets apart. Stay with the wider shape, whether you're thinking of it as the minor shape or the D shape. And then we go back to that G shape that we started on for E and C, and that just looks like a C chord, right? Because it is kind of. <laughs> and then we move those two up again to our, you know, closer shape, the G, the G shape here at the D chord. Now we're going to go back to that wider shape, G and E. One more of those, A and F sharp, and then we complete our cycle through the whole scale. So that's a really cool way of getting to know this new, maybe you've you've learned tunes down here in the first position, you know, open, um, Earl Scruggs' banjo lyrics, whatever. This is a great way to get started playing around the neck if you haven't done that before. So um, what can we do with this? I think a, a really nice way to start being able to play melodies and jams is to hear it on that first string. Or maybe you take a song that you already know down low. Hopefully everybody's kind of recognizing that, maybe. Uh, I'll fly away. That's a great tune. Maybe you know it already. It doesn't really matter if you do or don't. But what you could do with a melody like that is figure out what the what the real basic melody is. What, what would you sing there? Some bright morning, I don't know the words exactly to that song. But um, <laughs> we want to find that simple melody, right? Take away all the roles that you've already put in there or maybe you have a tab of a song, figure out what the actual melody is, what you would sing, and just pluck those notes first. So we've got B, G, down to the D, back up to the G. And then we've got this little scalar part, right? B, A, B, C, B. And all of this so far is over the G chord, right? What All of what I just played. We eventually get to the C chord there. But if we find those notes, instead of playing them down here, we put them up on the first string. We've got our B, G, D, G. And then we've got that scaly little part, right? B, A, B, C, B, A. Finally, this is where the, the C chord comes in. So if we um, get really comfortable with that and we find that melody on that first string and we know that all of that melody is under the G chord, we can go ahead and use those chord voicings, right? So all of that, with the exception of, I guess, that open, <laughs> open voicing, um, everything was within our scale position that we started with. And it's pretty intuitive once you get used to it. You can kind of... I was making up that roll as I went along, and and hopefully, you guys could get used to that too. You could just pinch it or or find a roll. The one I was doing was, I think, one, three, five, three. And I'm moving a little bit earlier, so I'm going one, three, five, move. One, three, five, move. And then when it moves quicker, I might go to pinches, right? Because I don't really have time to fit in a whole roll when that melody's moving a little bit faster. It's hard to find a roll that fits around that. But it sounds pretty nice with the two notes, right? It sounds much nicer than the one note. So we're really filling out that sound. And then when the chord changes, We have to know two things, right? At all times, we want to know two things. What is the melody and what are the chord changes? So if we know our chord change is C, and we know our melody is G, we can grab the bar shape here at the fifth fret. That's our whole first half of that song, um, with not too much trouble, I would say. Um, And the great part, the great thing about the songs like this is they're repetitive so then you just go right back into the beginning part of the melody. Stays on G for the second half and then a quick uh, D chord, which this functions, remember when I was talking about all the possibilities these two notes could be, this actually functions as well as a D7. This would be your D, the 7th fret. If we lower the, the root note down two frets, we get to a D7. So we're only playing these two notes, but it kind of sounds to your ear like a D7, right? And you want to throw in that banjo look at the end, just so it sounds like a banjo solo. <laughs> so are there any <laughs> it's questions? It's really so far? clear.
0: <laughs> yeah, you really explain it very, very well. Um, it's it's very clear. I think I think everybody watch most people watching are, are picking up on it. But definitely ask questions. But one thing, one thing that I know. First off, why are you using? Why which fingers are you choosing to use? Like you know, like you're making you know like the, the the C on the fifth string and the A on. Not the fifth string, sorry. See on the third string and the and the A on the first string. Like, why did you choose those fingers and what's the fingering choices behind that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's a couple of different ways you could you could probably use your ring finger as well, right? Pretty comfortably. I always just like to make sure I'm not stretching too. Like, you wouldn't want to do this. That's so three frets with two fingers. But what I'm thinking of is really the either the F shape or the. I mean, sorry, the D shape, hopefully people are familiar with, or the like A minor chord shape. Mm-hmm. So both of those use the same two fingers. So I, I feel like it's kind of a nice consistency there. So when I'm on the G shape, I'm using my middle finger, my pinky finger. When I'm on the minor chord shape or the F sh- D shape, whatever you want to think of it as, um, I'm using the index and the pinky.
0: So it's kind of like, it's kind of as if you're making the full four note one of the full four note chord shapes, but just removing the others, the others.
1: Yeah, that's the idea. And it doesn't always work that way. Like, um, a, a good example of when you don't really use the same chords is this. When people do, so we could do the same idea with um, the first and second string and make a chord melody using those two fingers, right? And it'll be, mm-hmm. sound pretty great as well. We'd probably want to stay on the key of G. <laughs> So um, I'm just doing the exact same kind of idea, but instead of using the first and third string, I'm using the second and first string. And in this um, shape, this is a full chord, right? Um, Ring finger on the fourth string, index finger on the third string, middle finger on the second string, and pinky on the first string. But if we're just doing the top two, a lot of times people switch to do this, myself included. Uh, So index and ring finger is just a little bit more comfortable. And then for the bar, You could do a bar or you could do two fingers like lonesome blues. So there's kind of like, even though we're coming from that full chord shape, we don't always use the same fingers as the full chord shape. But in the case of the, the sixth exercise, I do tend to use the same as the full chords. Okay. Yeah
0: and then going back to when you're talking about um, picking out the melody like the basic melody this isn't you talking about the the shapes but this is a big thing that comes up with with three finger players of the banjo cuz a lot of the times they learn from tab or something so they know songs just like like fly away they know it just by the roll pattern but they don't actually know what the melody actually is how do you pick out the basic melody of a of a of a you know A lot of these are simple folk tunes with very basic vocal melodies. Um,
1: Yeah, it's a great question and I think it is neglected in the banjo world. Like I think as myself as a banjo teacher, I often start people off and, hey, let's learn a tune with all the roles and all the melodies fully intertwined with the roles already, right? Which is great because it sounds exciting, it's a great way to get started. And you're like, wow, I'm playing a tune and it sounds pretty good. But um, we probably shouldn't start with that. We probably should start with just, let's pluck out just the melody. You know, If you're a guitar student, or a fiddle student, or even a mandolin student, all those instruments, they often do start with simple melodies, like Older Clark, like... On the banjo, we'd probably do it like...
2: <laughs> right.
1: I mean, it's so so much more, like, less clear what the melody is with that. I mean, it sounds really cool, but that's not probably where we should start with this stuff. So um, a great, um, for songs, there's kind of a difference between tunes and songs, but most people are dealing with songs, right? So you're singing. And I think a really good clue is often the long notes or where we wind up on the song is going to be a chord tone. And what that means is it's going to be one of the three notes you're actually plucking when you play the chords. So really, if you you know if you aren't sure what the melody is, um, a really good thing for you to do is sing it. Like put your instrument down and try and sing along with the singer of whatever song you're working on. And then from your voice, once you feel like you're in tune with that, the, whoever you're singing with, try and find that on the banjo, but... But have the knowledge that it's probably going to be the D, the B, or the G, right? there might be, um, there might be scale notes in between, or, but most of the notes that we rest on, like the long notes that the singer is singing, is going to be one of those three notes. And so when the chord changes to C, say, it's going to be one of those three notes, E, G, C. We just have another E, right? So there's only three possible choices there. And then likewise, it might be like, there might be a D in the middle of that. You can probably might go C, D, E, but it's probably going to rest on a chord tone like E or G. Um, so yeah, like tr- try your best to work on your singing. Even if you're, you're not interested in being a singer, I think it's a great exercise to try and sing songs first. And then once you're singing it, and it sounds right to you what you're singing, then try and find those notes on the banjo.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, going back into the shapes and like learning like in- interval shapes, we're kind of talking about right now. Um, are there actually ex- when you're or when you're when you're playing along, and let's say you're doing the six, are you mm-hmm. visualizing? the note of the first string? Are you visualizing the shape that you're making? Like I'm just gonna, you just know the shapes and you just kind of fly up the neck of the shapes. Like, is it a lot, or are you putting together all that together? How do you, how do you get to a spot where you can just play it like really, you know, in an, in an improv situation?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think we we want to know where we're going. Like, it's no fun to be like guessing it. Oh my god! Like, what are the notes? And then and then you go like this, or you go to the wrong frets. You know, so practicing them and understanding them slowly and at home first is a great way to just get them in your fingers, like these these positions. But um, eventually, you want to be kind of thinking about the both things at the same time, like the the note that's on the top because that's the melody, and the chord that's below it. Because if the chord changes, you might not want that low note to be a B, right, because that's on a G chord. You want the low note to be a C, because it's now a C chord. So you're kind of thinking of those two things at the same time. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you do this on all of the strings? Do you sometimes do it on the fourth and the second string, or the fourth and the third string?
1: as in the tune that I wrote, right? Yeah. So that's the same. It's the same two notes. So if I was to do my tune on the third and first string, I've never done that. But yeah, it's the same same sound, right? Same exact notes. I think the reason I I decided to do it on the fourth and second was so I could have the open first string to roll over, which is a D, which is going to sound good in the key of D. But in the key of G, it's nice having the fifth string. Um, you can have that either way, right? So we're doing the same the same scale all the way up the neck, but instead of starting on the third and first string, we could start on the fourth and second string. Um, it's a little bit weird because that's not what we're after. <laughs> that's fifth, so we want one more. So we'd start here. So um, we're starting on G and E, and then just going through the scale like that. So G, E goes up to A, F sharp, goes up to B, G, goes up to C, A, goes up to D, B, goes up to E, C, F sharp, D, and then back to where we started, G and E. So that would sound like this. to end not on (laughs) this note because this kind of sounds like a C chord Uh, so you might want to start on the open strings like D and B Um, so our first two notes on the first voicing were B and G which would be starting here B and G C and A D and G. And it's the same kind of idea. There's going to be two different shapes that you're, you're um, alternating between. So in this case on the fourth string, this is like a C chord, right? If we run as a C chord, if we just scoot that C chord up and we take off our ring finger, we've got the same um, shape. So we've got yeah. our C chord shape. And then we've got our bar shape, right? Like that. Bar shape again, C chord shape again. C chord shape again, bar shape, one more bar shape, and the C chord shape. And it's the same kind of pattern of, like on the other one we're doing G shape, minor shape, minor shape, G shape, G shape, minor shape, minor shape, G shape. So it's the same pattern, you know, it's just alternating between those two different um, chord patterns, chord shapes. Um, and this, the fourth and the second one's really nice because you've got a, just a different, you've got two notes to pick from really as a drone string. Um, I like to do. Uh Got to end with the G yeah. um, You Are My Sunshine, you know, and you could do the same thing on e- starting on either of those two chord voicings. Just pick a song, you know, really well in your head and, you know, to sing it, you know, if it would sound wrong and just try and find them within those, within that scale of options.
0: And you're playing most, you, you've been demonstrating mostly sixths and thirds. Is there a reason why you're choosing six and thirds, and how do I know, like, the, like when, what, which interval, you know, if if I'm going up and things change, can I can I change it to a fifth and things like that? How do I know and how do I make those decisions?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. It's it gets a little confusing, but I I would say six and thirds just sound really warm and sweet, and fifths sound more like you're in a rock and roll band, <laughs> right, like that's just like got that power chord sound to it, so fifths are not as ideal, but um, like on uh, I'll Fly Away, right, so, right, that is a fifth, right, going down, so if we were doing it strictly sticking to the first way we came up with, it would have to do it up the neck, but it would be... It would be D and F sharp to stay with those intervals of six, and and there's no real right or wrong here. Like I think mixing in. Um I think the main thing, especially if this is a little bit confusing to you, the main things to think about again are the melody and the chords. So uh, you know, you'll know, you hear if you like the sound of it or not, but oftentimes if I get to the bar shape and my melody's on the top and like my chord is C, I might just choose to go to that second string and grab the note that's on the second string instead of grabbing the note that's on the third string because that is a fifth, right? Usually it would be here. So it's not, it's not like it sounds bad. You could even just use both of them like I was doing. But you see that the main thing is like, I'm aware that the chord has changed. So I am going to change the interval sometimes. Chord mm-hmm. and melody are the two most important things. And then just try out all the options that you can see under that chord shape. Like, do I like the sound of the second string with the first string or the third string with the first string? Or maybe if you're on the fourth and second string, you could do fourth and third string together, right? Instead of fourth and second string. So there's oh, tons of possibilities. And I think your ear will kind of guide you to what you like the sound of most.
0: Yeah, that's good advice to uh, to use your ear. I mean, the sixth and thirds yeah, are generally most pleasing. And classical, classical voice leading, like doing parallel fifths or parallel fourths is a no-no um, because if you if you try, can you just show us to do, do like intervals of force and move up and down the neck if you can. Can yeah, you do that I just do so we so can hear go. when you just go up the neck doing force?
1: Yeah. So it sounds like. It's pretty crunchy. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's not, it's. You know it's a sound. Um, I think it's it's probably just best to start out with at least those um six or the thirds, yeah. But you know, Earl Scrag's like this this is a common voicing, you know, it's the top two strings of a G shape, and we do it uh-huh. all the time, and it sounds great.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. So it's not like it's wrong. And I think that's the whole thing with like if the chord is G and the melody is G, use the second string if you want to, you know, use the third string. Both of those sound pretty great, especially when the context of like the band is playing behind you. Um, But yeah, you might not want to go like all the way up and down with fourths.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Um, Yeah, this this is great. So, I mean, the key thing is use your ear, I think learn the Definitely. shapes and use the ear over what yeah you know.
1: and learn the chords like that's I think a, a thing that I feel like a lot of people fall into is like thinking they know the chords but like to really use the stuff to be able to really improvise in a jam session or find a melody like really quickly with the chords you have to know them so well like you you want to just know where all your G chords are all your C chords like super well. And there's only three shapes, right? G shape, D shape, and bar shape. Everything comes from there. So if you know those really well, your C shape and then your bar shape C, and you could kind of, you can play around with it from there, right? You could walk into it. It sounds great. it's a, like it's a great thing to be able to kind of join the two shapes together so if this is your C chord and this is your next C chord and this is your final C chord like what what could we do in between those to kind of make it musical right it's your E your G and your C those are the kind of the melodies we're working with um, we could use six Uh, You know, walk through each. Say we're kind of move to the key C here for a second, but C, F, G, A, all the way up those uh, diatonic chord progression to get some melodies happening. Um, So I think, but you know, if you if that seems like a lot to you, just knowing that all your different inversions of C and G and D and all the common kind of keys we play in is a huge step. Like. We don't always use all four fingers, but like we we're talking about, like we'll often use the top two strings. So that's a really big help, just being really confident as to where all your chords are.
0: Yeah. Um, do you want to play something? We're kind of in the middle, in the halfway point here. Do you sure. Want, yeah. Uh, yeah. Play another tune.
1: No questions so far. It's a quiet bunch today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we're starting to get some, so we can get to get them. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Give the some team.
1: questions, people. We're stuck here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so... Um If people don't already know him Adam Larrabee is a great music uh, Banjo player and musician Guitar player and He has written in the last few years um, Some preludes for banjo I played one on the last Daring Live and I don't often play Solo so there's like these uh, Tunes are really great for me to Kind of learn but um, yeah, Definitely anyone who's interested in in Banjo should check out his Book um, 24, there's two Books out now And there's recordings of them by John Bullard, and they're just amazing kind of pieces of music. So I'll try the B flat major for you. Flat major.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good to get out of G once in a while.
1: Good to get out of G after all that G discussion. Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) Um,
0: We have have a question from Profile P. Um, um, But uh, And then we kind of went over a little bit at the top when we were talking about how you came up with the tune that you played at the top of the show. But um, they're saying, do you use any of these techniques for writing?
1: oh um those techniques like the sixth maybe they're talking yeah, the about
0: inter- the intervals that we we're talking
1: definitely about. yeah um i can't think necessarily of another tune that i've written off the top of my head that uses them quite so obviously but yeah it's kind of funny i didn't even think about that we we're doing the topic today is actually like <laughs> the tune i wrote is kind of using that same thing But it's pretty huge on banjo. I mean, people like Bale Fleck use it all the time, improvising on bluegrass tunes especially. And I think everyone since him, (laughs) it's like, it's just a brilliant, it's a lovely sound. It kind of ties into like the chords you're playing, you know, it makes harmonic sense and and it's kind of like accessible, you know, it's like not that hard. Once you get the hang of where you're going and you know where you're aiming for, it's like it lays out pretty good.
0: Yeah, and you could, you know, if you had like a melody in your head, you could put that down up the neck on one string, like we were doing with with um, "I'll Fly Away," and then and then put it, intervals for it, or you could kind of do it the way that you are doing when you're just kind of messing around with the intervals, and then you kind of heard a melody out of it, right?
1: Yeah, it could really go both ways, you know. I think um, it's kind of a, a cool thing. I don't do this much, but I should. It's like actually just singing a melody into your phone or something without the banjo and and that might um you know we don't often sing like banjo melodies in our heads like with with all the roles and everything like you kind Mm -hmm. of it would be kind of nuts to try and sing all those arpeggiated roles that we play on the banjo so if you sang a melody it would probably be a little bit sparser right um and then putting that melody that you sang in from your just your imagination to the banjo with six underneath it, that, w- that would be a really cool exercise just to get a little bit out of banjo land. You know, sometimes we'll just yeah. tend to write tunes as banjo players that are like... <laughs> And there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's like certainly sounds like a tune and it sounds like banjo music and um, but yeah, if you're wanting to get away from kind of banjo vocabulary, I think it's a good thing to actually get away from the instrument as well, whether you get on a piano or just like sing in your head. Um, so that could be like that's the reverse of what I did when I was writing this tune is I had the banjo in my hands and I was kind of using the banjo to see what what I like the sound of, you know. And finding kind of cool progressions on the instrument to help inspire me to like keep going with that idea. So yeah, I think both ways are kind of a cool place to start writing from.
0: Yeah. I was just listening to an interview with Neil Young about his new record, and uh, he takes walks in the woods, and he was just was whistling, and he just whistled these random melodies into his phone, and they added like a 100 different little... Short melodies that he then put into his computer, just without end, just played them from his phone into his computer, no wires or anything, and uh, and then figured them out, and 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 then you know they turned into tunes, put them all together. So yeah, you know, these that's ideas amazing. can come all the time. So definitely, and and it breaks you out of your norm by by uh, you know hearing something and then putting it without your instrument.
1: <laughs> Definitely. And and that's what some of my favorite writers I know do, like Baylor does that for sure. I think that's maybe so- He wrote that tune, I think, or maybe Uh not. Maybe I'm just making that up. But, you know, (laughs) definitely it's a a good, (laughs) it's a great tool, you know, just to get us away from our instrument. Even just playing an instrument you're not good at. Like I find if I pick up a guitar or something where I don't really know, I don't know licks on the guitar, I don't know chord shapes as well, you know, it can just get you out of your your ruts, your typical phrases that you play.
0: Yeah. We start to play, we start to let our fingers do the, do the, playing and not our ears and it be so we kind of end up in those ruts.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, we have a couple questions here um, about backup. One from Nicholas, Din- is it Danola or Dinnea? Um Can you give an example of using six for backup?
1: Um, yeah, well oftentimes when I'm doing backup it depends on the situation. Like. Um, if I'm playing in a full jam session where there's like all the instruments, I'm often just going to roll on open strings like to get that, that kind of banjoy sound and fill that role that nobody else is doing. But if I was playing with just like maybe guitar or just one other instrument, I, I might do six. Yeah. Um, I think I feel like I mostly think of six or use six as a lead um, technique, you know what I mean? So like, it's just because it's so prominent on the first string, um, I'd be careful to use it as backup, but you use parts of it, right? If you're doing boom chuck backup on the banjo or up the neck backup, you're going to be using those same voicings, but I, I wouldn't necessarily like specifically do six as backup. I more often tend to stay down the neck doing that like
2: 315
1: kind of roll. Like that's kind of my go-to for backup stuff, but it, it could work and it could sound really good. I just want to be careful to like not tread on anyone's toes and not be too busy with it. Like maybe if you're staying on one voice for a while That could, that could work as backup. I might. I don't think I've ever done that, but I think it would stay out of people's way enough, as long as you're not too busy with it, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. a great question.
0: And possibly playing on that first string, maybe if you moved it to, like, the fourth and second string, because playing on the first string brings out that, that, high, that highest note a little more, you know, high, that more melodically, so it kind of can interfere with whoever's playing the lead role at that time, but maybe bringing it down... In pitch, a little bit.
1: Yeah, right yeah, bringing it down to the fourth. Yeah, now that you say that, I follow. Like I probably do do that, and more and uh, probably less in the context of a of a jam session, and more like on stage. If the more like almost on fills, like behind a verse or something.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: And then chilling. Somebody singing, and then fills, and then chilling. And then fill, yeah. So you could use it kind of as like a technique where you're kind of busier in the pockets where there's some uh, where there's not singing, and then uh-huh. use it to create melodies. I actually do that a fair bit now that I think about it. Yeah. But yeah, not as much. It's almost still more a lead thing, right? Because fills are kind of a you're saying little snippets of conversation in between right. the phrases, so you are trying to be busy but just
0: pick yeah. your moments.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely pick your moments. Don't uh it's good, but don't you don't have to have to speak all the time like, you know, the other person speaking you don't have to <laughs>
1: Definitely. And be aware of who you're playing with, like especially in a casual sitting, like often it's all about eye contact. You know, somebody, if somebody's already filling, just be really, really simple, be in the background. And yeah. like at some point people will run out of ideas to do and, and nobody will be filling and that's your time to jump in, you know, but like yeah. still being careful not to tread on the vocal. Yeah. So
0: no, another, um, well, profile P was saying, can you show us some fiddle backup? Um, but we just kind of went, it, that, that might be a different topic a little bit too than, uh, than because if you aren't using these inter-intervalic sort of things as a backup, what would you be doing in a fiddle backup situation? Similar to
1: tune? songs actually, for fiddle tune backup, like, I mean the chords might be a little um more moving, you know, like something like Cherokee Shuffle or or um, temperance you I was thinking of, maybe. So it's still pretty sparse. Like, I'm often just doing open, down-the-neck rolling um, trying to cover the chords, Fertile tunes that move fast um, have fast chord progressions, like Blackberry Blossom. Those are kind of hard to roll behind, right? So you have to. Um, a great way to back up those, especially if there's no mandolin player in your jam, is just doing the boom chuck because the chords are so fast moving. Either it, that's kind of one option, or you have to really. Um, maybe not play the whole chord, just kind of suggest the chord. So that's like my D chord. I'm like not really doing a D chord. I'm just going down to an F sharp on the way to the C or maybe I do just F sharp and A, but I'm certainly not able to get like... If I did like the full chord and was trying to roll on it, it would be very busy. Sounds more like a lead to me just with that amount of craziness that's going on. So, um, yeah, you can always do, I think a really tasteful thing to do is the boom chuck back up, especially on fiddle tunes that have faster moving chords. But otherwise, it's the same as songs. You're just kind of rolling, mostly rolling down the neck for okay. backup.
0: Um, Chris Stanton says, "Can you please very slowly go over the six moves up the neck again?"
1: Yeah, gladly. Yeah. So um, it helps to if if you already know your G shape and your D shape and your B shape, that can really help with this. But let's go through slowly again. So we're Middle finger on the 4th fret of the 3rd string. Pinky finger is on the 5th fret of the 1st string. That's our first position. And then we move up to a different shape. So we're going to the 1st finger on the C note, which is the 5th fret, 3rd string. And then pinky finger on the 7th fret, 1st string. Then we move that same position up 2 frets. And then we go back to our first position, which is the G shape position. So that's middle finger on the ninth fret, third string, pinky finger on the 10th fret, first string. And then we stay, we hold that shape and just slide it up two frets. And then we're gonna go back to the other shape, the wider shape. So index finger on the 12th fret, third string, pinky finger on the 14th fret, first string. And then we hold that shape and move that up two frets. So your index finger's on the 14th fret, third string, and your pinky finger's on the 16th fret, first string. And then lastly, we get back to our G chord, G shape. So middle finger's on the, whatever the fret that is, 16th fret, third string, and pinky finger's on the 17th fret, first string. I think I said that all right. <laughs> Maybe not. It's hard to say that many words, but yeah. So th- this is G again. So we just went one full octave, And if you're comfortable with those two shapes, there's the G shape, the minor chord G shape, minor chord G shape, regular G shape, regular G shape, minor chord, minor chord, back to G shape. So it's really good getting comfortable shifting between those. Keep in mind, you don't have to go the whole way up, right? We get a lot of ground just from going just up here, those first three. How many melodies have that? And you know. And that's a. Well, some of these songs start sounding the same after a while. I was starting to think of Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Be getting a little bit of you are my sunshine, and we'll circle in there. But you get the idea it's like once you can, once you up. access them, they actually do start sounding the same because you they kind of are so similar. You know, the melody is mm. just very slightly, but you're just always resting on those chord tones. You're always thinking, Where's my next chord tone going to be? Um, so yeah, hopefully that was slow enough for you, Chris, and, and everyone else that's tuning in. Any other yeah. questions? Send, send them up. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah, it's kind of an iron uh, A lot of people probably watching already know this stuff, but if you don't, it's like Christmas come early. It's pretty, pretty great stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, s- <coughs> Scott Weber says, I'm new to music theory is a sixth, the sixth note of the scale
1: ah a six is the interval between two so it's like the gap between two notes but depending on where you are it could be including the sixth note of the scale but really we're just talking about the distance between two different notes so a six could be that a six could be that all of these notes are the six so so we're not talking specifically about a certain note in the scale but we're talking about the distance between those notes great question
0: Yeah, that's good. It's 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 tricky on stringed instruments to kind of visualize, but uh, if you think of a piano keyboard, you can kind of very very easily see. Oh, these two fingers are this far apart, and they just kind of move.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's much easier on other instruments. So, I mean, luckily we can play two notes at once. You know, like can saxophone players play two notes easily at once? I don't. You know what some, I mean? Some like, do,
0: but you're pretty out there. Pretty avant-garde. People do. <laughs> it's probably
1: way harder than on the banjo. You know, I often yeah. think about that. It's like, or even fiddle. Like fiddle playing two notes on the fiddle and getting them in tune is pretty hard. Double stops. Yeah, so like, yeah. even though certain things about the banjo are hard, we kind of have it easy in some ways.
0: Um, well, I want to get into the the mile twelve new record too before we we um before we run out of time. Um, It's Close Enough to Hear Is the name of the album, right?
1: Yep, got it
0: And you have a couple singles released already Correct?
1: Yeah, the title track Close Enough to Hear is um, That was the first single we put out A few weeks ago And then uh, Johnny Oklahoma Song about a guy getting fired out of a cannon (laughs) That came out a few weeks ago And then just a few days ago Came out the third single Take Me As I Am Which is kind of more Anthem grass
0: Y'all, what's the writing process for the band? I mean, you, you kind of talked about the, the instrumental that you wrote on the on the album, but for the songs, for the vocal tunes, are y'all all collaborating, or does somebody is somebody the main songwriter when there's when there's when they're you know vocal tunes involved?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I don't write lyrics. I've tried and I'm a garbage at it, so <laughs> I stick to banjo tunes. But um, Evan is the primary songwriter in the band. He's the lead singer and guitarist, and uh, and Nate is a great songwriter. He writes a bunch of songs. Um, he's the bass player, and then Ella also. She's new to the band, but she's uh, she wrote one of the songs on the new record as well. So all three of those guys and gals write this uh, write the songs, and they come in pretty well finished. Like the chords and the melodies, the story of the song is pretty well set. But um, we might do some like kind of collaborative. You know, editing. We used to do that more, and I think you know they're just getting so great at writing songs. So they kind of bring a song, and we're like, "Brilliant! It's brilliant. Let's let's arrange oh, it." Yeah. Um, but we do a lot of um, a lot of collaboration comes in in the arranging of it, obviously, because um, you know the songs might change feel a lot. Like some of the songs on this album came in as like soft, folky, you know, guitar rhythm and lead vocal, uh-huh. and that was kind of the whole song. And we might change it like double time the rhythm underneath. Or um, completely change the feel of it, um, like Johnny Oklahoma, which is about the guy getting fired out of the cannon. I think came in as like just a, a simple like kind of folk strum rhythm on the guitar, and we decided, oh, let's like chill it out and have Evan do finger picking, and we'll come up with all these little like melodies around it. So it's a little bit more like circus-like or something like that. So mm-hmm. I feel like the vibe of the songs can change kind of a lot from. The demo recordings, but the the essence of the song is there, right? From you know when they write it and bring it in.
0: And how what about the recording process? Do y'all go record live, and then all, and or do you do things separately? And or, how's that go?
1: Yeah, we've done different things over um, over the years, but this one was pretty live. Um, we weren't all in the same room together playing at the same mm-hmm. time. Al and I were separated mostly just logistically. It's hard to find a space big enough for everyone to be in. Um, But and then also bleed, you know, if if something was to go wrong with either the fiddle or the banjo part, we could go in and have another crack at the solo or have, you know, redo this this verse where there's something funky going on behind it. Um, So there was some overdubbing, but mostly it was like we all tracked at the same time together, just with headphones on, and the three guys were all in the same room, so. If they had to do any overdubs, it was quite a procedure. I don't even remember if they did. I don't think right. they really did, but
0: you had to get all yeah. three to do the to to play the part again.
1: Exactly. Or, yeah. So, um, unideal.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you have a, like a go to um, for recording your banjo? a Go to like mic mic that you like to use, and or you know any sort of thing like that.
1: I don't. I'm so untechnical with all that stuff. Um, I'm really <laughs> fussy about like what strings I use and like what picks I use and things like that. But uh, in terms of the recording, I guess I just haven't done it that much, and every time I do it, it's in a different studio with a different producer and um, different engineer, so I just kind of let them think what do, what do you guys think is best for banjo?" and then as long as I hear it and it sounds good, I'm happy.
0: right. Is there anything you learned this time in the recording process? You know, either either, either from just the, you know, the microphone placement situation or in the mixing process in a band, just anything new that came out of the process that you might have learned?
1: Um, Well, this one was interesting because it was the first time we didn't have a producer, really. Um, And we kind of were a little nervous, I would say, going into that and being like, how are we going to there's no band leader our band is fully democratic so that's a good thing and a bad thing <laughs> but
2: yeah.
1: um i would say that was kind of the biggest difference with that and i think we all learned pretty pretty well how to like communicate with each other and there were some very small squabbles but they always like we always came to compromises about like yeah this is how it should go like this is great right. um and so yeah I, th- I would say we took a little bit longer to like make those decisions without the producer but it was kind of neat to just be like we're just in charge we're just like kind of doing it how we want to do it and trying to like encourage each other the best we can and get the best result we can so that was cool that was probably the main difference between like this recording and and previous recordings we've done
0: okay. and you did it in the boston area the band's based in the boston area correct everybody's there or are you spread out a little bit
1: the band's based in Boston. We're, we are spread out a little bit. Like we used to actually all live in Boston and rehearse twice a week and like bust to each other's houses and grab other instruments mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But that was quite a while ago. At this point, our bass player Nate lives in New York City and has done for quite some years. And then uh, Ella was in Maine and she just recently moved back to Boston. And then Corey was in Boston. He just recently moved to Vermont. So <laughs> we're kind of like we're chasing each other around New England a little bit. <laughs> Um but yeah, Evan and I are, are the in LA now too, so there's three of us oh, yeah. in Boston. But we recorded in, in Maine. That was your question. <laughs> yeah. So we recorded the Great North Studios, which is um Sam Kassir. He's um pretty he plays with um, Josh Ritter, he plays piano or mm-hmm. and other stuff too, I think. And he's an amazing engineer and recording, you know, artist himself and He's produced like a lot of people in, in the, our kind of world, like Lula Wiles and London Hot Band. I think Joy Kilsaro did a record with them back in the day. So yeah, lots of folk music has, folk and bluegrass has come out of that studio.
0: Yeah, it sounds fantastic. Um, so everybody, when will it be released? Is there a hard date?
1: Yeah, February 3rd.
0: Okay. So go. and you can so, order
1: pre-release copies now I think we're in the mix of like sending you know mailing out copies to people so you can go to our website mile12band.com and there's like links to everything you could possibly want and more
0: <laughs> and it'll be on all the streaming platforms and everything
1: yeah, I, I was the person that was charged with uploading it too, <laughs> although so I hope it will be. <laughs> it's supposed <Right>. to be. <laughs> right. The singles all came out as they were meant to, so I'm assuming the album will too.
0: I'm sure it will. Um, let's see. We have a question from Julie Colton, the regular regular viewer of the show. She's uh, saying, have, have you a recommendation for picks for women?
1: Oh, yeah. It's um, a good question. I, I don't... Um, know if they make like women's and men's like if there's a difference for picks but for me i do have pretty little fingers and a tiny little thumb so i do um you know have probably have standard sized hands for women and i I really love the yates picks yates eights yates eight i think they are they're modeled after the oval eights which mm-hmm. are the old um national ones but the old national ones are really hard to find they're, they they because like Hundreds of dollars, <laughs> and okay. you can't always get a supplier, so it's kind of like almost like a black market at this point. But the Yates eights are like uh, maybe $50 a pair, so they, they are a little bit pricier. Um, but they have really great tone, and and I, I find them like I don't have to fold them over too much or anything, they fit really nicely. And then for a thumb pick, I've just been using the blue chip medium, and that fits great, very
0: yeah. good. Um Well, I think that's all of our questions. We have one more. Actually, we have one more from Profile P. How would you tackle chords like a D flat over G? Use the full chord or just a couple of notes out of the chord?
1: D flat over G.
0: Yeah, that'd be odd
1: chord. Um, That'd be cool.
0: Deeper harmony here.
1: Yeah. So you could do. You could. yeah, you could do the full chord, like just like put your finger over a D flat and have a G in the bass. Um, you could think of that as a D flat sharp 11, I guess. Or it could be almost like a, a G G sharp 11 flat 9. <laughs> Is that right? I think so. Yeah,
2: the... the uh...
1: Yeah, it's yeah. like a G G7 11, flat 9 sharp 9. 11 yeah. Anyway, there's um, I think the main thing to think about is like Grab the, the third of the chord Because that tells you if it's a major or minor So for a D flat, what's the third of a D flat chord? Be an F note And then um, the seventh can be important uh, In bluegrass we don't often use the seventh that much But that can tell you if it's a major 7 chord Or a dominant 7th chord right, So if you're going like that f and b that would be the flat seven if it's a d D (laughs) d7 d dominant seventh or a, a d major seventh the third and the seventh um and you could have those in you could reverse those right so you could have your third on the third string and then your like seventh on the fourth string and if you want the root in there you could have that And I'm kind of just ignoring that over G point at the moment, just to explain. So for a G chord, say, get back to the key of G, the two most important notes of that G chord, if you only want to grab one or two, are going to be the third, because it tells you if it's a major or minor, and then the seventh, because it tells you if, if it's a dominant or a major. So that's the dominant seventh, that's the major seventh. So, and this is getting a little bit more advanced, right? Like often in bluegrass, we just do triads. We just do one, three, five. And so really we have enough fingers to grab all three of those. So it's a good idea if you're, you know, not trying to do jazz or or other styles of music, just to grab the full G shapes, the full D shape and the full bar shape. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. You don't have to play the whole chord for it to be a chord.
0: that's 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 the key part there well um bb uh thanks so much for having for, for coming on and uh and you know we'll look i'll look out for the new record coming out and you have some y'all also have a tour set up for the record as well right
1: yeah yes. we're touring a bunch in march so we're we're like starting in boston we're doing a big show at the sinclair um with a few friends of ours like um Allie Buckland from Lula Wiles and the Clements brothers who were two of the five uh Lonely Heartstring Band. So that we're all doing like a big show, C D release party in Boston here. And I think that's March March third, March second, something yeah. like that. And then we just like tour most of March, we're going down to Florida, we're coming back up through Nashville. I think Asheville, North Carolina, all the way up to like DC, um, New York City. So yeah, look out for us if you're on on the East Coast anywhere. We we probably come into your town.
0: Awesome, definitely. Um, well, would you like to play us out with the tune?
1: Yeah, I would love that. That'd be great. Um, how'd we do on time? Oh yeah, we did pretty good. Yeah. Right about so, there. I don't want to shortchange the people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'll um, I'll take his out with. Uh, thank you so much for having me. By the way, it's a really a fun time, and thanks for everyone to tuning in. Um, I'll play a favorite tune of mine that uh, is designed to be played on the fiddle. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a challenge on the banjo, but it, it lays out really fun as well. So it's called Fiddler's Dream. <laughs> Thank you.